some days I'm like, okay, I was like, cool. But like, I am also a life coach and I'm a mom, I'm building an empire, right? I'm, I'm getting book deals. I'm getting TV deals. There's so many amazing things, but all we focus on is pastor turned stripper. But instead of feeling limited by that or pigeonholed by that, the way I view it is it gets my foot in the door. It gets my foot in the door to then talk about all the other things I care about, right? About my writing, about my TV show, about my children, about my company that I'm building, um, the people I'm hiring, the people I'm firing. And so I, I'm grateful for the opportunities it's given me to have these deeper conversations, to be on these different podcasts, TV shows, magazines, newspapers that have written stories on me that I never would have had had my story not become a public thing. If you're a longtime listener to the podcast, Life Amplified is not the place that you would expect to come to and hear an interview with an online sex worker making $100,000 a month on OnlyFans. And quite honestly, this is not the interview that I thought I'd ever be having either. But I really encourage you to withhold your judgment and listen to what Nicole Mitchell is going to share this week. It's not a conversation about pornography. What it is, is a fascinating look into the mind of a woman who had to make a choice between being the good girl that she was raised to be and being a free woman, free in her voice, free in her self-expression, and free in her sexuality. This is a fascinating, unconventional path to finding your purpose, and I think you're going to be amazed by the conversation. Welcome back. What is an amplified life? It's having amplified relationships with people who support and encourage you to be your best. It's having amplified energy to conquer the challenges of the day. And it's having an amplified career, one that's meaningful to you, the world, and your bank account. I'm Dan Mason, Life Reinvention Coach, helping you discover your calling and create an amplified life on your terms. This is the Life Amplified Podcast. Over the last six years of coaching clients around the globe, it's become obvious to me that the two places in our life where we tend to carry the most shame, guilt, and even judgment are around the topics of money and sex. But what happens when online sex work becomes a huge portion of your income? What does that stir up within you? What are the judgments and perceptions that you have? Please put them aside for the next 45 minutes or so. Because what we're going to uncover this week are so many other layers to Nicole Mitchell, who's made international headlines, is the pastor-turned-stripper-and-life coach who helps people make six figures plus doing what they love. Nicole works one-on-one -on -one with clients, leads a mastermind for next-level leaders, and teaches digital courses on how to create the life of your dreams from the inside out. And oh, by the way, she's also a top 1% content creator on the site OnlyFans. And this week, she's going to talk about the intersection between online pornography and expressing her life's purpose. It's a fascinating conversation. Now, probably not one that you want to have with the kids in the car, but it's one that you should listen to. Some of the topics that we're going to talk about this week are the impact of religious trauma and how Nicole had to decide between being a good girl or a free woman. She'll discuss how the inconsistencies in her church power structure set her on a self-discovery journey that caused her to reevaluate her sexuality and her career path. We'll talk about the value of making fast decisions and how it leads to fast results. She's going to have an honest conversation about all of her online critics and how she deals with the haters. Plus, we'll talk about how she reconciles online sex work with being a mother and how she talks to her kids about her career. And there'll be a really great conversation at the end where she'll tie it all together and share how OnlyFans is actually an on-ramp to help her get her larger message out to the world. You're going to have a lot of feelings about this episode, and Nicole and I can't wait to hear your thoughts. Be sure to screenshot the podcast. You can upload it to Instagram or Twitter. Be sure to tag me at CSC Dan Mason and tag Nicole at Mitchell Nicole. That is Nicole with a K, N-I-K-O-L-E. And if you're a first-time listener, don't forget to give us a follow here on the iHeartRadio app or whichever podcast platform 
that you're listening on. She's been featured at the Jimmy Kimmel Show, the New York Post, and Sirius XM. Today, she's on the Life Amplified podcast. Please welcome, get ready for a fascinating conversation with Nicole Mitchell. Nicole Mitchell, welcome to Life Amplified. Thank you so much for having me. We have done this podcast for three and a half years. We have heard so many stories of people finding their purpose, the crazy ways that we get there to that point. But we have never heard a story like yours. This is going to be a treat for people. A queer woman in a straight marriage preaching in the church who eventually became a stripper online. So I don't even know where you want to start. Maybe we take it all the way back uh, because I'm assuming that if, you know, for you to go the church path and to become a pastor, you probably grew up in a pretty religious household at an early age. So tell me, tell me about that relationship for you and how that shaped who you were and why it wasn't working anymore. Yes, I love this. Yeah, I grew up in a very religious, very conservative home and um, it was totally my parents doing with doing what they knew. Like we all as parents are doing the best we can with what we know with how we were raised. And so I grew up and I tried so hard until just a few years ago. So my entire life, I tried so hard to be a good girl who becomes a good wife, who becomes a good mother. And eventually had this moment where I had to decide between being a good girl or a free woman. But before we get there... Yeah, everything I did was through the framework of my religion of what I was taught was appropriate for a woman. And there, it, the pressure and the assumption and the expectation that I was a straight woman um, and that my highest aspiration in life was getting married and having babies. And so I, I took on those expectations, those beliefs and tried to make it my own and live that way for most of my life until the, a turning point where I began to question everything and reevaluate is this the life that I want to live or is this the life I was told to live and that sure. question changed everything yeah that's a theme that comes up a lot on this podcast and as somebody who grew up in the Pentecostal church church of God of prophecy shout out I, that was a that was a very traumatic experience for me uh mm-hmm. at many points I've talked on this podcast about literally having panic attacks at age 11 mm-hmm. once I hit puberty and started having panic attacks about the rapture or being yes. left behind, right? So I'm curious for you. you. You've talked about the things that you were in, the, the, the programming that you were taught. Was there any age early on, because this was the case for me, and I'm curious what it was like for you. I remember at six or seven, even questioning a lot of the things that I was learning. And, you know, I wasn't having a crisis of, of sexual orientation by any means but what was the point was there any point where you're like some of this just doesn't make sense Mm. yeah looking back there are so many moments from a very young age where I think our deepest truth is always there and it, it reveals itself and I've always been someone who questions I'm always someone who rebels I like to push against what's expected what's the norm and I think it's people like me like us who create new energy, new paradigms, new movements, because we're not just doing things the same way it's always been done. We're always like, is that the only way? Is that the best way? Could there be another way? So I remember as early as like first grade. So what are you in first grade? Like seven, six? six, Yeah. Yeah. Um, Me, like curious, why why are cuss words bad? It's just a word, right? I remember even around that same age, five or six, um, (laughs) I'm can be honest like I would touch myself I was very like connected to my body and was caught one time by a family member and was very quickly shamed for it and so I was just like I was very free and very open and had all these questions and I very quickly learned these aren't things you're allowed to question these are black and white they know I don't they're right I'm wrong and so my entire life from that little age I stuffed down so many questions I had Even to the point where I think in middle school, I don't know where this idea came from. I loved the idea of being a stripper. I don't know where I was even exposed to that idea. I went to all these super small Christian private schools. So what age were you when you were like, hey, stripping might be my path in life? Like when did that come up for you? Um, Probably like fifth or sixth grade. I was fascinated by the idea of it. And then it was in eighth grade 
when I went to see the movie Titanic and the camera pans across Kate Winslet's nude body. And I was like, oh my God, I, I want to do that. I want to do that someday. So they were always there. And I thought, doesn't everyone? And then I very quickly learned, apparently, no, not most of my girlfriends wanted to be strippers or pose naked. So again, I stuffed down those desires and curiosities until many, many years later. And at that age, as you're going through that, because I'm sure you see this in your coaching practice as well. Uh, A lot of people come to me from a religious background, and I'm not not anti-religion or spirituality, but I've seen it happen over and over again, where there's a certain set of rules that you have to play by. And as you hit a certain age, you don't fit into that box or you start having desires beyond what you were taught. And it, it's, it creates the sense of shame for people. It's, you know, I am wrong. And literally, you know, on a subconscious level, I think a lot of people get to that point where like, well, if I'm wrong in the eyes of God, if my higher power can't love me, then how would anybody love me? Mm-hmm. There's a yeah. lot of self-worth that gets tied in there. Something that Stefan Lovegrove has been on this podcast before. He's talked about the idea of God trauma, but that's, yes. I do believe that that's a real thing. How did mm-hmm. you, how did you navigate that? Because you didn't rebel at that point if you were certainly becoming a leader and a pastor in the church. Yeah, totally. I'm so glad you brought um, God trauma. And I term it more as religious trauma because I think, you know, God, higher power is love and we fucked it up with our religion. And the toxic theology that was taught to me was I was totally depraved, completely unworthy of anything good. And that was pounded in me, programmed in me so deeply that it took until just a couple years ago to come home to my wholeness and to come home to my goodness and to come home to my worthiness. That I, Nicole, am worthy of good things. I, Nicole, am good. I'm an inherently good person. That is so not the case inside the churches that I grew up in. And so because of that toxic paradigm that I'm garbage, it... I tried for so long to be that good girl. Then at that point, I'm like, wait, why does it matter? <laughs> like if I'm already doomed and I can't do anything good, I'm not deserving of anything good. Why does it matter? And for me, as someone who's always been very, very sexual from a very young age, I remember the one thing I wanted to happen before the rapture, same thing. I had rapture trauma was like, I would pray at night, please God, do not come before I can have sex. Every night I'm praying, I have to have sex before you come back and rapture us. <laughs> like, before Kirk like... Cameron shows <laughs> yeah. up like the movie Left Behind and Let yeah. me have sex. <laughs> wow. And just speaking of like rapture drama, it took until my late 20s to not have an instant panic if I walked into my house and I saw my then husband's shoes and pants on the floor. Because it was serious? immediately wow. yes, until that... my late twenties, I, I would just like get flushed and panic like oh my God, I've been abandoned. I've been left behind. And I have to like calm down and like connect the rational dots of like, oh, he said he was going to the gym. So he probably just changed real quick. But it was still, so there's like a lot of like, Mm. like healed anger, but there was a lot of anger there where I feel like I couldn't even just be an adult. I was still so deeply traumatized from the beliefs and teachings. um, I was taught as a little girl that things like that would trigger me in my late twenties. But yeah, so I, I would pray please God, let me have sex before you come. And it's interesting, like, you know, in the church and in my family, sex is very, 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 very bad. And you have someone who deeply craves it. So when I finally had it at age 16, I felt instant shame. And shame is the voice that says you are bad. Guilt is the voice that says you did something bad. And I just immediately went to the voice of shame that I'm just bad and horrible. And it went even deeper then. If I'm so bad and horrible, why does it even matter? And then you add on to that, we don't allow birth control where I, in the churches I grew up in, we're not allowed to talk about protection because protection means you're planning on having sex and that's wicked in the eyes of the Lord. So then I, I just was reckless. I didn't have birth control. I didn't use protection. I viewed myself as garbage and like had these like all, slept with all these different people. And I like feel so bad for little Nicole if she had just been armed with the truth that like sex is beautiful and sex can be amazing and you're worthy of protection and birth control is okay. I could have had a totally different experience, but those beliefs ingrained in me as a little kid, that's how they outpictured themselves in my teens and in my twenties. But what I'm hearing you describe, which I totally appreciate that. And thank you so much for the vulnerability of it. 
is dealing on one hand with the shame of I am garbage, Mm -hmm. but yet they still striving to want to be, you know, to curry favor from a very judgmental higher power, (laughs) (laughs) which would manifest, I guess, as working your way up into a Mm -hmm. position of leadership in the church. How do you reconcile that though? Like on one hand, I'm garbage, but here I am, I'm a leader, I'm a pastor at a mega church. Mm-hmm. There's a big dissonance there. <laughs> yes, <laughs> there is. It, it shows the extremeness of my nature, but also my upbringing where I did all these bad, bad things and I consider myself garbage. So the only other extreme I can think of, the only way to make up for that is to forsake all that for God. So there were six years I didn't date or go on a single date, didn't touch a guy because I was like, boy, if I'm really bad and I'm like sexually depraved, I'm going to stick with Jesus and Jesus alone. So I joked that I was dating Jesus because that was how committed I was to trying to like make up for all those years and like dove deep into all things scripture and theology and went to seminary and just had this dream of like speaking and teaching and leading. And I'm a natural speaker and leader by heart. So I just took everything I knew and everything I wanted in the frame of, of which I was taught, which is the church. I only knew the church. I didn't know life outside of that and what was available to me, especially as a woman. So it wasn't until I, I became a member of this mega church before I ever rose up in ranks there. And it was the first church that allowed you to question what the pastor taught. He would be up there and say, this is just my opinion. You don't have to agree with me. Hmm. And I remember thinking, I have never heard that in all my life at all the churches I've ever been a member of. This is the first pastor. So every Sunday I would run down because it's a big church and everyone wants to talk to the pastor afterwards. I'd run down the aisle and go through my list of questions week after week after week, all these questions that I've been piling up my entire life and took all the, pro- the the programs they had at the church. And one night, two of the pastors pulled me aside and they said, Nicole, you realize you're a theologian, right? And, and I was like, no, there's three strikes against me. I'm a woman, I'm a mother, and I've never at this point hadn't been to seminary. And they're like, those aren't strikes against you in our church. So this was also the first church where women were seen as equals. So that just opened up a whole new possibility that I could now use my heart and talent for speaking and teaching within the church, which is what all I knew. So then they started training me to become a pastor. And I was delighted because that to me felt like this radical up leveling. I am an equal being, which is blows my mind. That's even a thought in the 21st century, but I've been taught women are subservient to men. So I was like, I'm an equal being and I'm just as capable as male leaders. And now I get to use that in the church. And I was so excited. And yet (laughs) the pastor career was short lived. But is that sort of like the thing that we talk like? And I'm sure you talk about this in your coaching. So often we're looking for some sense of external validation, right? Mm -hmm. If I get the next promotion at work, if a bigger company hires me, I will feel like enough. If I find the next relationship, get into the next tax bracket. But is that the same energy for you? Hey, if I can just get in good with the church, it's going to fill this internal void. Yeah, it was more of an in the energy of proving. I'm going mm-hmm. to prove to you that I'm capable because I had been had all this garbage beliefs put in me that as a woman, you are not capable. As a woman, you are less worthy. As a woman, you don't deserve the spotlight. And I was hungry to prove that Nicole Mitchell crushes it in the spotlight and to prove it which at this church which taught gender equality but in practice it was a totally different thing women were not treated equally there and that's what ended up pushing me out of the church is I found the inconsistency between what they taught and what they lived Mm -hmm. and as someone who's trying to rise up in the ranks and seeing all the white men in my circle getting promoted and getting paid and getting all the favorite positions and me, who's a biracial queer woman, having to jump through more hoops, having the finish line pushed further and further away, I saw that believing and doing were two different things at that church. So eventually it came to a point of like, I was trying so hard to like get to that top rank. And then eventually, like right, like I got it. And then that day I walked away from my church and left without telling anyone saying I would never come back because it was so toxic. They didn't actually want Nicole Mitchell they wanted a watered down version of me to be more like the head pastor. You need to be like him, act like him, talk like him, be a, a match for him. 
and, and totally erase who I actually am. And so I had to walk away and it was terrifying because I wasn't walking away to anything. I didn't have another job lined up. I didn't know I was going to do this online adult work. I just like, I'm stepping into the unknown and trusting that it will lead me to where I'm meant to be. So I hear that, that there was an element I have to give up. I can't fully be Nicole Mitchell. Did you know who Nicole Mitchell was mm. in her fullness at that point? Or were you still searching? I was still searching. I remember thinking, okay, I was getting paid very little money at my church. Mm. I mean, it is such an injustice. It's laughable. And I remember like being so desperate for that money because we were broke. We were a broke family and I, we just needed every dollar we could get our hands on. And I'm like, here I am exhausting myself, sacrificing who I really am for this meager, meager paycheck. And I was thinking, but is it possible for me to get paid a lot of money to actually be me and do what I love? Like, why am I studying for a paycheck to be someone I'm not and to do stuff that I'm, it's becoming more misery because of how much they were stifling my true voice. And that's what I was, I was willing to find out. I want to find out if there's something I can do that I love that I can make a lot of money doing. And I didn't exactly know what that was that moment. And that was sure. the part equal parts, terrifying and thrilling to go on that journey and find out what that was. Whew, so girl, <laughs> yes. so, so that's a lot in and of itself, right? That's it like, that could be a so podcast much. in and of itself. Totally. But how did you find it in OnlyFans? And I guess we ought to—I guess we ought to give some perspective for some of the listeners who might not be familiar with what OnlyFans is. Do you want to go ahead and fill them in on uh, yes. talk about what what that is? Yes, the so OnlyFans is uh, it's another social media platform basically, and you can technically use it for anything, but it's largely associated with adult work or sex work, um, new model erotic erotica. And that's what I tend to use it for. And it's funny, I, I didn't even know that thing existed when I left the church, even though it was around at that time. And it was just the more I came home to myself, it was more returning to that little Nicole, who's always been very sexual. And I started following other moms, like my life coach's wife had an OnlyFans and she's a mom of two little boys. And like seeing these women be whole people and not choosing, I can be a mom or I can be a sexy model or I can be this or I can be that seeing them be both. And once I saw other women doing that, it like sparked this fire in me saying, if they can do that, I can do that. And I want to do that. And I just made slow steps into like, maybe I'll get into modeling. Um, maybe I'll, I'll do a little bit of nude. And before I knew it, it was this full-fledged passion that then became a very lucrative career. Sure. So for you, it was more driven by the passion than the money up front? Yes, I did not. I would do this for free. Not that I recommend that because I believe you should be massively compensated to do what you love. Sure. But the main reason I started my OnlyFans is because I couldn't post them on Instagram. If Instagram would let me post my photos, I would be posting my photos on Instagram. I'm that proud of them. Like when I get new um, photos or videos I make for my work, I want the whole whole world to see them. I am so proud of them. To me, it is just art, living, breathing art. And I want the world to see, but Instagram won't let me. So it forced me to start a private site where you have to subscribe to see my artwork. And I love it. I'm like, thank you, Instagram, because you just made me a shit ton of money because of your policies. I know that you've posted about this online, so I don't think I'm speaking out of turn or, or, or giving up some information that you'd like to keep private. Money to the tune of sometimes six-figure months yes. for you. Amazing. My wow. goal when I was broke, my big goal was to make six figures a year. That was like lavish, mind-blowing. And now with this work, I've had six-figure months. And that is just like, holy shit, all things really are possible. And yet as you're making this transition, I guess the piece that we haven't addressed, there was a marriage yeah. and a, a man that you met in the church. You have beautiful children. And you were coming to a realization about your own sexuality at that point. Mm -hmm. How did you manage that? Hey, honey, you know, good news. I got a pathway to make a hundred grand a month. By the way, here's how we're going to do it. And what do you think the Bible's going to say? Like, how does that conversation? <laughs> I and I know that you are. I know that you are not in that marriage anymore. Yeah. But yes, um, I love this. Yes, so I actually give 
a lot of credit to my ex-husband for where I am today. He was always the more open-minded one in our relationship, always the one who's so laid back. Like, you know, I get really upset about something, you know, about something someone said or whatever. And he was like, it's your life. Do what you want. Why do you care so much about what people think you should do with your life? You're a free agent. Do what you want. And that was just so radical because I've been so used to being told either by my parents or by my church or by other Christians in my life who I should be. And then here is my husband being like, girl, you're free. Um, and so I give him a lot of credit for helping me find my freedom and my self-expression. When I started my OnlyFans, he was my biggest supporter. He's buying me lingerie. He was the one taking the photos from my OnlyFans. Um, he was giving ideas of what he think my fans would like. It was the most incredible experience. And then over time, we had this realization of we want very different things. So it's kind of like we were going together in life. We we're going together, being super supportive. And then we just kept going. And we had this moment of do we fight to keep our paths together or do we release each other to take our own paths? And we chose that the most loving thing was to let each other go which was really hard. I had no plans of getting divorced. And it was a super hard, even though it was amicable and we both wanted it or agreed to it, it was scary and terrifying. I've never cried so much in my life. I felt so scared to be a single mom of three and what this meant. And because of my upbringing, divorce is not allowed. So to get divorced, um, I knew I'd lose family members over that and friends over that. Um, but now that I'm here, um, I am the wealthiest I've ever been. I am the happiest I've ever been. And I'm the most fulfilled I've ever been. And I found that it was absolutely the right call. But he's a large reason why I got where I am today. And I wow. will forever be grateful to him because of that. You know, the way you explain it, it's almost shocking that there would be a divorce. It seems I like know. you could have written that out. And, and I think that that's probably a point that many couples find themselves in, where mm -hmm. it's comfortable, it's safe. You could You could stick it out. You're great roommates. You get along. You like watching the same shit on Netflix. But <laughs> yeah. being able to make that decision. And was that, I mean, everybody always says like it's an amicable, mutual, dis was it a mutual thing for you guys or? It was terrifying. I mean, we both, because neither of us had ever planned, that was never part of our future plan. Like someday we're going to get divorced. We had always planned to be together forever. And then the more we had these realizations and these conversations of like, what do we want and we're both the kind of personalities where like, we don't ever want to be the couple or the individuals who settle because that's what society has taught us. That's what religion taught us. That's what family taught us. You should settle, especially as a life coach. Like I just deeply believe that you have your path and you have your calling and you have your destiny. And one of the fastest ways to sabotage that is to quit is to stay, is to shrink, is to sacrifice, is to settle. And so the more conversations we had, it was terrifying to realize I would feel like I was settling if I was staying. He would feel like if he was settling, he was settling if he was staying. And we're like, oh my gosh. And then we were both terrified of how it was going to impact our three kids. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was a lot of tears. We went to therapy. We, had, we both loved her. She was an amazing therapist. Um, and so we tried. And and I think for me, I, I and I don't know about you, but I've heard so many couples who end up getting divorced saying, we should have gotten divorced five years ago. We were, you know, we tried, we tried, we tried, and now we hate each other or we're bitter or we're like we knew back then and I would just dragged out and I did not want to be that couple. I, mm -hmm. I saw, and I told him, I was like, if we both know what we are meant to do, I don't want to drag this out for a second longer. That is not Nicole style. When Nicole knows what, what she's meant to do, she does it and she does it fast. And this is why I get the fast results in my life. Once I know, I honor that knowing. But it's terrifying because it's not the case. Most people you hear fight for years and go to therapy for years. And I just didn't want that to be our story. And so we moved pretty fast in our own situation. You mentioned, I want to go back to something that you just mentioned. You were talking about this journey to figure out your calling and your purpose and how you got there. I operate from a paradigm, perhaps you do as well, that your purpose is never actually the job that you have mm -hmm. because you can lose a job. And or, you know, anything external to you can change. So my purpose isn't to be a coach. My purpose isn't to have this podcast. It's a vehicle through which I'm living my purpose at the moment. But the purpose of your life is not to be an online sex worker or a life coach. What have you learned about yourself? What is Nicole's purpose? And how is the path that you've chosen, an unconventional path you've chosen, mm -hmm. the best vehicle 
for you to, to live that and make it real in the world? Yes. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad you said you brought this up and you asked this. This is brilliant, Dan. I am such a deep believer in this. I believe like your purpose is your being, not just your doing. Cause like you said, anything can change any moment. Your marriage can end, your loved one can die, your job can be gone, but who you are remains. And so one of my passions in my life coaching work is helping people be fully expressed and that your fullest expression will take different forms. Yours is through a podcast and through coaching, mine through coaching and my online sex work. Like what is your version of self-expression? Today I had a call with a man who for 25 years didn't talk because he had such a severe stutter and he didn't, he was so afraid of being laughed at to then making the commitment to talk to a new person every single day. And now he's gone on to do two TEDx talks. He's currently having his documentary films, like all these amazing things. Like he is now fully expressed and his version by using his words. And so I want to help people realize their purpose through their being mm -hmm. and figure out who you are and what lights you up. And then for me, taking it to the next level, monetizing that. I have a course called uh, Monetize Your Shit, right? And it's all about monetizing who you are. Because again, the economy can change, your job can change, your relationships ask can change, but who you are always remains. So if who you are is always remains, you can always monetize your passion, your goofiness, your brilliance, your uh, curiousness. Like, what is it that you love doing? Who are you really fully when you're un unleashed and uncensored and unfiltered? And now let's make money doing that. And that's why I'm able to make the money I am is because I'm not tying it to like clocking this many hours or hoping an employer will pick me. I pick me. I choose me. I employ me. I pick my rate. I pick what's worthy of my time and my energy and I know how to monetize it really well. And then my, my income just keeps matching that. So I just want to see people be, 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 be more and more of who they really are and make a lot of money while they're doing that. And part of that path of living fully expressed, as you said, is dealing with the people whose vision for your life doesn't align with that. Now I've talked about like, you know, it's not like I didn't have some haters along the way. I still remember like the day my dad and stepmom told me, Daniel, life coaching is not a real job. Go back to, go back to radio, take get another corporate gig. Like I, however, your critics or the people who have opinions about what you do, uh, extend far and wide. Like, you know, I was sort of going down the Nicole Mitchell YouTube bandwagon. Oh gosh, uh, the worst. <laughs> Don't go there. <laughs> There is a guy who was like taking your Instagram stories and breaking them down and analyzing them frame by frame like it was the goddamn Kennedy assassination footage. And there are tons of comments happening underneath and particularly from people who still, you know, believe a certain believe a certain way, maybe the way that you used to. So I don't have to, you know, I get a couple people, you know, here and there, people give this podcast a one star rating, by and large, more people love it than don't. I've never had the experience of like, having hundreds of comments on the video. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Because mm. there's, I have to think there's still the inner child part. There's part of little Nicole that wants to fit in, that, that might want to prove herself on some days. Mm -hmm. How do you reconcile that? Yes, I love that. My kryptonite is wanting to be understood. That is like the same issue I return again and again with my own life coach. I just want to be understood. I'm not an evil person. I'm not a horrible person. I'm not a bad mom. Like all these things I'm accused of. I just want to be understood. And I'm constantly having to release myself from being understood. And something I've learned and embody is, you know, for those of us who are leaders, are we willing to be misunderstood for the sake of fulfilling our mission? And that's something I have to like, I have to consciously choose that again and again when my story goes viral again, like my story has gone viral a few different times, which means it reaches more people, which is awesome, which means it also finds more trolls and haters. And so it always brings up that deep desire to be understood and me releasing that need to be understood and just know, choosing to know that the right people do understand me, my very intimate circle that I've um, invested in and have committed to. They understand me. They love me. They celebrate me. So one practical way I handle that, I don't read any YouTube comments. <laughs> I have a YouTube channel. I post videos weekly. I don't read any comments. It's interesting how every platform sets the tone. YouTube is, of all the platforms I use, is the wor worst comment section. So much hate, 
so much attacking that I can't even look for the good. I just let it rest. Reddit, mm. all love, all praise, all support. So every social media account has this different vibe and energy. And I just don't even associate or don't even engage with the comment section or with these videos that these very creative YouTubers make. I, I kind of get a kick out of it. I'm like, I'm kind of tickled that you're so obsessed with my life that you're going to analyze my Instagram stories or analyze my outfits or analyzing my news ring um, with the free time. This one precious life you have, <laughs> you're sure. focusing on critiquing me. Um, and something I always tell my life coaching clients, and you, you'll know this too, Dan, is that typically the hate or judgment or strong reactions that come from people has everything to do with them and nothing to do with you. I'm just a mirror that reflects back to them their own beliefs, their own prejudices, their own assumptions, their own misogyny, their own whatever. And instead of dealing with it, they're projecting it. And so it allows me to have compassion that I don't think they're evil people. I think they actually have really good hearts and really good intentions. They're just they're just misdirected and misguided. You had mentioned when you were talking about the conversations and wanting to be understood that, hey, I am a good person. I am a good mother. Talk to me about that part. I, I remember I ended up at an industry event, like a music industry event in my former career, where I ended up having a conversation with a woman who was a former adult actress. There was a group of us. She was talking, though, about leaving the, the industry, the adult industry, because she knew one day it was going to be a thing with her kids. Now, your mm -hmm. kids are young, mm -hmm. but at some point, there's a lot of 13-year-old little boys out there that mm -hmm. know what OnlyFans is. And, mm -hmm. you know, they're, they're, they start getting curious and consuming content. Mm -hmm. How do you reconcile that for you? Like, have you thought about how you'll talk about this? Mm -hmm. Is that something that concerns you? Is it a worry? Oh, I love how this. How do you handle that? So I have two responses. I have like my reaction, which is like my programming reaction. And then I have my actual response, which comes from my wholeness and groundedness. My initial reaction is, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, fear, fear, fear. What are my kids going to think? What's going to happen to them? Who's going to pick on them? It's all fear. All the limiting beliefs and lies I was taught as a kid that like sex work is bad. Sex is bad. Sexual expression is bad, 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 bad. And bad things happen to people do bad things. Um, that all crops up and I have to like address it now from this place. Cause I've been doing this long enough and I've just done, obviously you have to do a lot of inner work to get to this point where I do what I do. I feel really grateful the way I tell my kids, cause they're five, eight and 10. The way I tell them what I do is I say, I am so lucky that I get paid to do what I love. That is what I want for you too. That's very age appropriate. And that is the heart of the truth of what I do. And then on a more specific level, they know that I'm a nude and lingerie model. They, I do shoots here. I have lingerie all over my house. They, I'm in magazines that are, you know, on my desk. And so they've seen mm -hmm. some of the work I do and they're just like, ew, that's your butt, mom, your butt jiggles. And I'm like, everybody's butt jiggles. Like, it's just kind of a little bit normal for them. And then I get really excited. I, I have this assumption, but I'd have to actually do some homework, some research. I have this assumption that children raised by those who are in the adult industry, I think turn out healthier um, because so much of our job is communication, education, mm -hmm. consent, care, um, testing, all these things that in my upbringing, none of that was talked about. Mm -hmm. I didn't learn about consent until five years into my marriage. I didn't know I was allowed to say no to my husband. So for five years, I didn't. And like, I, and I was flabbergasted so angry that I didn't know about consent until I was 30. Um, and now my kids know very much about consent, bodily autonomy, bodily agency, feeling safe to like explore in their bedroom, in the bathroom. There's no like shaming, like there's appropriate places for curiosity, appropriate times for questions. They know they can ask me anything. And so they ask me all kinds of things and I give them age appropriate responses. And so my home is this very open, safe, respectful container where you can express yourself and question and explore and not be shamed or punished. And I'm, I get excited to think about how much healthier they're going to be as adults because of that. For the people listening today who might not be fully on board or understand this path and your desire to be understood, part of, you know, the concern about any sort of pornography is mm -hmm. that it's an objectification of women. Mm -hmm. How do you respond to that? Because you seem 
very much in your power and in this career path that you're in. Yet I'm sure there's probably some gross comments from people that slide into the DMs as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, as much as I'd love to think that every OnlyFans subscriber is like Nicole, you're an inspiration. I'm sure you get some gross stuff too. How do you how do you reconcile oh that? How do you oh. how do you deal with that without Dan? You are such a devalued. good interviewer. I just love your questions. Everyone, just listen to Dan. He's amazing. Okay, I just first have to say some of us women like to be objectified. Put that out there, okay? Yes. <laughs> right. So, but is that is that sort of like a relative thing? Like, I feel like yes, you know, if, if the dude looks like Ryan Reynolds, people are like, yes, objectify. <laughs> if I go sliding into the DMs on an Instagram model's account, they're like, hard pass. I'm gonna block you. <laughs> so, I do feel like that's a little uh, specific okay. and yes. a nuanced conversation. Yes. Okay. There's there's appropriate times and places. So, <laughs> for example. You can subscribe to my OnlyFans, and obviously I post explicit content there and like cute content, everything. I'm a whole person. So I bring my whole self. I'm not, there are some girls who do this where they're purely fantasy material. They don't engage with their personality. They don't tell stories from their real life. I talk about my kids. I talk about trips I'm going on. I talk about my interviews. I post my interviews in my OnlyFans. Um, And actually, Dan, for Nicole, and you know this is a life coach, we attract who we are. I attract the most amazing humans in my OnlyFans. And I wrote a social media post yesterday sharing how I love how my two worlds blend. I have OnlyFans subscribers who become life coaching clients. I have life coaching clients who subscribe to my OnlyFans. Because in my space, all of you is good. All of you is welcomed. All of you is love. Nothing is wrong or bad. So, and yesterday I just had lunch with my client who started at, he still is an OnlyFans subscriber, but he's also my life coaching client, the most incredible human doing incredible work in the world. And it just were these two like walking dichotomies where we each, instead of refusing to live a fragmented life, we allow ourselves to live a whole life. But like, so in my OnlyFans, it's explicit, it's sexy. You can be like a little bit raunchy and naughty with me. I love it. But there's also a level of respect and my fans have deep respect for me. And they know, for example, they can ask me to make custom content and they can ask me anything. They also know that I retain the right to say no. So they'll say, Nicole, will you make such and such? And I read it and I'm like, oh, I feel a little uncomfortable. So I'll say, hey, thank you so much for asking me. I'm not comfortable making that. Is there something else you'd be interested in? They're like, oh, no worries. Absolutely. The engagement the entire time is super respectful. Even when it's like raunchy, it's incredibly respectful. And so it's so different from the idea of like when we typically think of pornography or we think of porn consumers, it is unlike anything I was ever taught about porn my entire life. That's why I'm always telling my friends, I'm like, everyone subscribe. Everyone, you just need to see this amazing community I have inside my OnlyFans. For Instagram, like you mentioned, if you're going to slide into my DMs or any sexy woman's DMs, whoever you think is hot and sexy or dude or whatever, this might sound cocky, but we know we're beautiful. We know we're sexy. You leading with a comment that we're beautiful and we're sexy, you're just one of a million. What actually reaches me and like pauses me, catches my attention and makes me tempted to respond to you are those who message me about my content. I read your social media post today. It was deeply moving and here's how it impacted me, right? And I'm like, oh my God, I love that. What I wrote, what I, my Facebook live, my Instagram live, what it, my, my copy, it reached you. That's amazing. And then I've made some amazing connections on social media because of people who are able to see past just my looks and just my photos to like what I have to offer, which is so much more than that. And that's what ends up making my OnlyFans so magical is I think a lot of people subscribe thinking they're going to get just a fantasy and they get this whole fully expressed person who has a life and who has passions and endeavors and fears and doubts. And it's so satisfying. It's deeper than just pictures. There's a person you can connect with. And and I'll wrap up with this. You can book Skype calls with me, which typically are would be used for a sexy time. Out of all the Skype calls my fans have booked with me, all of them except for one have been for life coaching support. How can I start mm-hmm. my dream job? How can I make more money? How can I pl- better pleasure my wife? How can I ask this person out? How can I like leave my family's religion and we, our conversations are so deep and soulful, which again just shows me people are so hungry for this kind of living and being and connecting. Have you stopped to consider that the raunchy requests that come in that you deny might be people from your former church on the other end? 
<laughs> I had I was a high school teacher before I was a pastor, and I have high school. I mean, they're not high, they're like in their late twenties now. They're like, "Hi, Miss Nicole," and I'm like, "Oh, oh." oh, oh. <laughs> Which I admire their bravery to admit that they are in my OnlyFans. And I I will almost always jokingly say, like, hi, so nice that you get to see a whole new side of me. (laughs) So, yeah, some of them have introduced themselves. And I'm sure there's a lot of church members. I'm sure there's even been relatives who've secretly subscribed. And I have no idea. But I'm always like, "You're, you're welcome here, too. You and I were on a panel together a couple months ago. You know, because I also am a top 1% OnlyFans. No, that's not true. <laughs> Everyone subscribe. <laughs> yeah, I post unsolicited dog pics online, and uh, my dog is very handsome. You can make Check a lot of out. money. Animal. Make sure animal to follow photos. him on Instagram, at Brady Mason Pup. He's, he's the man candy of the household. We were on a uh, panel about media and PR together. And you said something interesting that caught my attention, and it was not what I expected. You would tell you're known, and every story that sort of comes up, if people Google you, it's the pastor turned stripper. And you had said, This is my story, and sometimes I wish it wasn't, but all of it is authentic. So, for all that you've shared today, and the work that you've done, and, and you seem very at peace and, mm-hmm. and, and in your power. And very connected to yourself and something bigger than you. Tell me what you meant by that. What is the part of you that wishes it wasn't your story? If there was was a part of it you could rewrite, do you think about that? Yeah, it's my my story is very can be very and easily sensationalized. And it has been, right? That's the tagline, um, Pastor Trin Triples, where I've gone viral a few different times over the span of um, 10 months. And I love it. I love that it catches people's attention. I've had several people write like, oh my God, this is amazing. Wait a second. There's more to her than what that tagline suggested. Like they, they felt a little duped, but in a good way. They're like, I wasn't expecting to learn so much or go so deep. And I love that. Um, but because it's so sensationalized and it's like hyper-focused on, some days I'm like, okay, I was like, cool. But like, I am also a life coach and I'm a mom. I'm building an empire, right? I'm I'm getting book deals. I'm getting TV deals. There's so many amazing things, but all we focus on is pastor turned stripper. But instead of feeling limited by that or pigeonholed by that, the way I view it is it gets my foot in the door. It gets my foot in the door to then talk about all the other things I care about, right? About my writing, about my TV show, about my children, about my company that I'm building, um, the people I'm hiring, the people I'm firing. And so I, I'm grateful for the opportunities it's given me to have these deeper conversations, to be on these different podcasts, TV shows, magazines, newspapers that have written stories on me that I never would have had, had my story not become a public thing. And I know it'll eventually die out. And I'm cool with that too, because I know who we are is always evolving. And once this part of my story is has run its course, something new and beautiful will already have taken its place. And I just look forward to whenever that is. So I'll wrap up with this question. You had talked earlier about all the things that you had believed about yourself and some of Mm -hmm. these beliefs that were formed based on, you know, the religious trauma, the left behind culture. I think we've covered what you used to believe about God slash higher power universe, whichever verbiage you prefer. What do you believe about it now? Mm, I feel way more spiritual today than I ever did in all my years in church. I feel way closer to God, divine, universe, whatever you want to call it. I feel way closer to it than I ever did before. And for me, I feel like I just eliminated the middleman, which was church, which was male leadership, which was for me, even scripture and Jesus. No middleman is required. And my previous beliefs are based on separation. My beliefs now are based in oneness. I'm one with all that is. Nothing can be taken from me. I'm whole forever and always. I'm worthy for all forever and always. I'm loved forever and always. And I get to have it all. And these are polar opposites of what I was taught to believe. And as I learned and leaned into these new beliefs, it felt like one giant returning. It felt like I was coming home. It was like the ancient language of my soul, though I had never heard those beliefs growing up. Once I started hearing those and leaning into those, it's like my deep soul took an exhale, like, 
you're home, Nicole, you're mm -hmm. home. And it's why I feel so at peace. My friend, I think we've covered all the bases. Is there anything that we didn't cover? Is there anything that you would like to leave, leave the uh, listener with? today. Yes. I think the last thing I want to say is I, because of the work I do when people become my coaching clients or start following me on social media, they're like, Oh, I feel like, do I have to start an OnlyFans too? Well, I highly recommend it. It's not required. Um, but what I want for you, I think what I want for you to take away one of the many things I want you to take away from Danny's conversation is I want for you ultimately to be fully expressed, whatever that looks like, whether it's you starting the podcast you've always wanted, whether it's you starting your dream business, whether it's you relieving the toxic toxic family member or relationship you've been dragging on, holding on to for way too many years, whatever your path is, I want you to live a fully expressed life. And I know how terrifying, obviously, uh, facing that and deciding that, but life on the other side of trusting yourself, trusting your desires, trusting your path is so worth it. It's so worth it. I would do it all over again. You're worth it and you'll make it. That is what we call the amplified life, my friend. So, Nicole, where can people find you on the socials? Yes, come find me. Uh, I have my website, NicoleMitchell.com. Nicole is spelled with a K and I K O L E. Find me at, at Instagram. I'm the most active on Instagram and Facebook, but I'm on YouTube. I'm on Twitter. But come say hi. I love meeting people. If you heard our interview, please let me know. I love meeting um, people who listen to deep conversations like this. Appreciate you, my friend. Thanks for doing this. Thank you, Dan. This was amazing. Appreciate you. I had a lot of opinions on how that interview would turn out before we did it. But what I realized is, is there is so much more to Nicole, so many layers and so much depth. And I'm reminded of the quote by Walt Whitman that says, we are large, we are multitudes. But what were your big takeaways? Would love to get your feedback. Screenshot the podcast, upload it to Instagram or Twitter. Be sure to tag me at CSC Dan Mason. You can find Nicole on Instagram at Mitchell Nicole. Be sure to share. What did you think? I have a feeling there's going to be a lot of opinions on this particular episode, but let's continue the conversation. For me, I boil that interview down to one phrase, self-expression, as in finding the right vehicle that allows you to fully express who you are. For me, it's my podcast for Nicole. OnlyFans has been a powerful tool for her. You heard her say she'd be giving those photos away on Instagram if it didn't violate the community guidelines. But the bigger question is, what's your vehicle to self-expression? And are you living as fully as you would like? Or are you stuck in a life that somebody conditioned you to want many years ago? And if you're not happy with the answer to that question, and maybe this podcast has opened up some new pathways or portals of thinking for you, uh, don't hesitate to reach out. This is my life's work, is helping people work through this for themselves. Uh, you can go to my website, creativesoulcoaching.net. We got one-on-one -on -one coaching programs there, group coaching programs, so many different ways that we can work together for you to step into your purpose. And what a powerful time to do it as the world's reopening. If you're loving this episode, please be sure to share it on your social media with as many people as you know. And don't forget to give us a follow here on whatever platform you're listening to. I love you. I appreciate you. And I look forward to talking to you next week. In the meantime, turn down the volume on your negativity, turn up the volume on your purpose so you can live life amplified.